Tigarun ke imis tu suton e hontes perikimenon imin nefos marturon, o con opothemeni panta ketin e farisaten amartian di upomenis trechon, ton prohimenon imin agona, aforontes in tontis pisteos archigon ketelioton, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The reading of the word from Hebrews 3, 7-9 and Hebrews 4, 1-4. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as on the day of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors put me to the test, though they had seen my works. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For indeed, the good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. As in my anger I swore they shall not enter my rest, though his works were finished at the foundation of the world. For in one place it speaks about the seventh day as follows, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see all of you that are here in this room, and it's good to be with you all uh, online in your couches today. As you know, this uh, has been a season of sadness for my family. My sister, Shelly, uh, passed away from a heart attack earlier this summer. She was 48. And this week, I got a phone call from my mom that her husband, Mike, had passed away as well. And it's unlikely that two people married and also so young would die so close to one another. And I think my whole family had the same lingering question when we heard the news. And as I spoke to Mike's family, I heard the same thing. We all kind of wondered the the same question, we, but we were so reluctant to say it, we'd hint around to talk around it. And it is possible that Mike lost a battle with grief or depression, or from complications from other health issues he had wrestled with. We simply do not know. What we do know is that we believe that death no longer has its sting. But man, it still hurts. And we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but we still grieve. And part of the truth of the gospel that we need to hear today is that God brings a new reality from the chaos of grief. Richard Lesher wrote uh, a book which I think is the best book by far on grief and, and death. He, he reflected kind of a memoir of the death of his son, Adam, who died from cancer at an early age. And it, and it began by Richard screaming into the wall in bitter gall, this is a robbery. And somehow, those words changed to the settled sorrow 
of he was my son, I will give thanks for him. How did he get there? Because to be honest with you, I'm, I'm pretty close to bitter gall right now. I'm not very close to settled sorrow at this point. How did he get there? Because so much loss has the potential to, to shipwreck your faith. Where are the anchors that keep you connected in the midst of a storm? Because just now we sang, it is well with my soul. But what I sang was, I'd like it to be well with my soul. That song wasn't a declaration. That song was a prayer for me. How did he get there? I want to tell you it's no less than a miracle how he got there, how we get there. It's so easy to be cynical right now. Bitterness looms right around the corner for me, and it's so easy to let that become the rhythm of my heart. I long for a settled sorrow, and I know it comes by doing the work of being present to God in the middle of it. I was 22 years old when my father died, and he died on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, we went home for the funeral, and then I, I went back to school to try to salvage that semester and then I came back for Christmas break, and it just so happens that the, the wall between my room that I grew up in and my parents' room, they share the same space, the same wall. And it was the second night that I was awake in bed, and I heard my mom play the, this song, I Hope You Dance. And at first, I thought it was just she was playing the radio to help her go to sleep, but by the third night, she had played it every time, I Hope You Dance. And if you don't know what that song is, it's a song about heaven, and it's, it's terrible. It's that kind of Christian uh, shtick that just is so cheesy. And, and if you like that song, I'm really sorry. You have terrible taste in music. I, but what happened for me is that song transformed over the course of the three or four weeks I spent at home that Christmas. It wasn't cheesy, terrible music. It was a miracle. It was the work of God allowing my mother's heart to heal. So I want to tell you what's getting me through this week. Um, and I'd love to tell you, like, I'm there. But this week I've been angry at my children. I've been short with my wife. I come in from work and it's like there's a weight on my shoulders. But every week in the morning I do this ritual when I get to work. I listen to a couple of songs that are centering for me. And they're probably terrible for you, but they're centering for me. And I read from this book of really old prayers. And I try to spend a little time in quiet before the day gets chaotic. It's not a miracle drug, but it is getting me through. And so today we're going to try to hear the gospel. We're going to hear it together. And I don't know where you're at mentally or emotionally or spiritually, but I want you to try to center yourself for just a moment. 
In a minute, we're going to pray, but what I'd like you to do is, is, is take just a second to breathe. And if you can, take your mind to that still place inside of you. A place where maybe you can pray, it is well with my soul. Maybe your prayer is, please help this be well with my soul. Because the one thing I know that God can do is take our grievance. God is big enough to handle it. And God offers our, his blessing. God has more than enough to share. And then even after that giving and receiving, God creates comfort. God puts an arm around you. God gives you a song that gives you peace. Center yourself for just a moment and then we're going to pray. Father, in the midst of rough seas, the anchors that you have given us hold fast. And even when it's not well with my soul, I pray that you are with us. I pray that your presence is real. I pray that we learn to trust, to lean into you. As we journey through a wilderness that sometimes smells like death, we pray that your healing arm is around us. And Father, we, we look not only for the the release of our grief, but also the hope and joy of new life with you. So, Father, as we, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that this church community can hear gospel truth, whom you love so deeply. And it's together that the church says, amen. Okay, so I want to kind of recap you as we're going through this book of Hebrews. Um, because it's a complicated book, but there's a pretty clear line that you can trace, and we're, we're following that line about as closely as we can. The first week of this, uh, this series, we talked about that preamble that happens in Hebrew where, where the author says that, you know, it's, you've heard prophets, you've heard from those in the past, but Jesus is the final word. And the fact that, that Jesus is the final word, that finality brings intimacy, Everything after the life of Jesus in the Christian faith is about Jesus. Everything after that is a reflection on what Jesus' life and death means for us. And because there is no other word from God, no other word that will come, Jesus creates intimacy. There's no more surprises in the Christian faith. God might surprise you with his ingenuity, but salvation is complete. And then the author turns to say, well, actually, Jesus is the greatest revelation, not just the final revelation, but the greatest one, which means he's more reliable as a savior. He's greater than the angels, is how the author says it. But what he means is it's greater than a law, the law. He's more reliable as a savior than anything else that has become. And then last week, we saw Jesus is our pioneer. He's our trailblazer, the one who leads, sets a path for us from our present reality through the wasteland of death using his own suffering and death as a means to defeat the one that had the power of death, that is Satan, and to give us freedom. 
This week, we're going to look at a text that has, it's kind of like Inception. Do you guys remember that movie? It was a few years back. Inception is about a dream within a dream within a dream. Well, this is Scripture quoting Psalm 95, which is also Scripture, which is quoting an events that happened in Exodus and Numbers. So we're going to dig deep through these three levels as we look at how the author wants to make their point. And, and the, the key is very clear. Don't harden your heart. I knew the exact moment that I was done with him. It was a very clear decision in my mind where I said, I'm finished. His name was Brad, and he was, he was one of the uh, kids in my campus ministry when I worked at the University of Arkansas, right at the beginning of when I started doing ministry. And I, I, he was always frustrating, always inconsistent, hardly ever reliable. I, I think, honestly, he woke up every morning and pulled out a PowerPoint presentation that said, what are the three biggest ways to annoy Shane? And then he executed each one of those points admirably. And I can't remember exactly where, what was going on in the situation where I just was like, I'm done with this guy. But I knew it, I said it in my heart. And it took years it took years for God to soften that spot in me, to bring me to a place where I could learn to love Brad. And I think we've seen this. You see this in, in, in situations with, with spouses where one spouse has just said, I'm finished. My heart is hard over this. There's too much pain, too much scar tissue. I am done. How difficult it is in that moment to work toward restoration. In the book of Exodus and Numbers, the story of Israel is that they're wandering in the desert. God has set them free from Egyptian slavery and is leading them to the promised land. But there's this in-between time where they're wandering. And in this time, it's not that disbelief is the opposite of faith. It's not doubt. There's no doubt in Israel's mind that Yahweh exists and has saved them. It's grumbling. Complaining is the opposite of faith in, in Numbers and in the end of Exodus. That's the expression of disbelief. And it's shocking when you realize this, how often it happens. And so it's hard to tell what the, the preacher in Hebrews is talking about when he refers to Psalm 95 and Exodus and Numbers. Psalm 95 is pretty clear. It's this, it's this moment where Israel grumbled about water. The water was bitter, and they called that place bitterness, but, but the Hebrew author doesn't quote that part of the verse. In fact, he cuts it out. And so maybe what she's talking about is, is not so much that particular moment as the entire season of grumbling. They grumbled about water. They grumbled about the manna. They grumbled about who was in charge or who could approach the tent of meaning. meeting. Maybe it's the story of Korah's rebellion, which I am absolutely convinced, if you're going to read the book of Numbers in the Bible, read it from the Action Bible. It's that comic book-like Bible. Uh, it's, it's amazing, the stories, how vivid they are in that story. Korah's rebellion, he, Korah wants to be in charge. He doesn't think Moses should be the only one that has access to God for the people, and so he kind of makes his play. And in that moment, the ground opens up and swallows him and his whole family. 
They don't die the way normal people die. They just kind of go straight to Hades, just chomp. It's a crazy story. Maybe it's the story of the 12 spies. Because Joshua is mentioned at the end of this text. The 12 spies who went to see the gift that God was preparing to them. It's the land that was flowing with milk and honey. It had rich soil and vineyards and, and cities. It's everything you could want, but they could not enter it because they were afraid. It was the failure of pioneering. Those 12 spies were the trailblazers for the rest of Israel the way that Jesus is, and they just couldn't do it. And so God let the people wander in the wilderness. Maybe it's because they weren't ready, or maybe it's because they hadn't learned to trust. But the preacher thinks it's because they no longer had soft hearts. So as long as it's called today, don't harden your heart. I think a soft heart is like a good vein in your forearm. I don't know if you've ever given blood before or had to go uh, to the hospital and get an IV. That moment is kind of scary for me because I don't have great veins. I get stuck a lot as nurses are trying to find the one spot. But, but if you have a good vein and it's easy to stick you and get right in there, a doctor can give you medicine quickly and easily. That's what a soft heart does. A place where you're vulnerable to God, a place where you hear God's voice and it's not hard to, to repent from that spot, it's not hard to say you're sorry, it's not hard to move past, it's not hard to be obedient. But if your vein in your forearm is withered and dried, it's really difficult for the doctor to give you medicine. Israel entered the promised land, but they never received the promised rest. That's, that's the reality that the, the author, the preacher, wants us to hear. That even though they got the gift that God was promising them, they never got the full gift. They never got the full promise. Because there's a weariness on the road that makes you want to quit. It's disappointments and grief and scarred up old wounds. What God wants to offer is the promised rest. It's, it's Sabbath. I don't know if you know this, but the Ten Commandments actually exist in two different places in the Old Testament. It's given once in Exodus, and it's given once in Deuteronomy. And the Ten Commandments are kind of a big deal. It's an important part of, of the story of Israel. It's kind of the summation of the law in, in a lot of ways of how Israel should treat God and Israel should treat one another. And so it's not surprising to me that it shows up twice in the story of Israel. What is surprising is that they're different. It's not the same. And so if you have a chance today, if you've never heard this before, go to your Bible this afternoon and, and pull them up side by side and look at the differences. Two of the commandments are different, and one of them is Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. In Exodus, the reason that you honor the Sabbath and keep it holy is because God created the world in seven days. And on the seventh day, God rested, and so, so should you. Now, that takes us back to the story of Genesis chapter 1. It's the beginning of time. And as you read that story, boy, this inception is just getting deeper and deeper. At the, at the beginning of time, God's Spirit hovered above the waters. Now, when you encounter waters in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, more often than not, waters is a symbol for chaos. 
It's a symbol for disorder. People fear the ocean because it's a dangerous place where you can't predict what's going to happen. And what happens in the first six days is God creates something out of the chaos that allows human beings to thrive. He builds them an ecosystem in a place. First, it's, it's separating light and darkness, represented by the sun and the moon. Then he creates land, a place for people to gather. Then he uh, populates that with animals and plants. And on the sixth day, creates human beings. And on the seventh day, he rested. And it's not because God was tired. It's not because God needed a break. On the seventh day, he's ordering chaos of time in the same way that on the first six days, he ordered the chaos of space. Have you ever had one of those work weeks or work seasons? It's kind of a sprint where you just had to go every day, all day. You did, there was so much work, you couldn't get it all done. And so you, you come home, you go to sleep, you wake up, you go back to work, and it's just rinse and repeat for more than a week, for two weeks or three weeks. In my last place where I worked in, in Silicon Valley, this would happen a lot to, to people, is that a project had to get done, it had to be delivered on time, and everybody was putting in 60, 70, 80-hour weeks. Something happens to you in that moment where you're putting in a lot of time, where you don't get those regular breaks, you lose sense of what sort of day it is. You kind of lose sense of everything except for the task that has to be done. That's what happens when you don't get Sabbath. The same thing on vacation is also true. I don't know if you've ever been able to take a vacation that's like 14 days long. Those things are amazing. Everybody should take 14-day vacations if you can. Because if you're like me, it takes you three days to get out of work, and then the last three days are kind of getting your mind back into work. If I take a seven-day vacation, I get one day off, right? That's just the way my mind works. But if you take a long vacation, work just goes away. All the responsibilities that are heavy on you, those just go away. And you enter into some sort of different kind of rest. God orders the chaos in Genesis 1, and part of what he orders is time. That's what Sabbath does. In Deuteronomy, the reason why you take Sabbath is different. It's the same commandment, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. But it's the reason why is not because God created the world in seven days. It's because you were in Egypt and you were slaves. And because you didn't get a break, you should take a break. You should take a day off once a week. But it's not just for you in Deuteronomy. It's for you and your spouse, for your children, for your servants and your slaves, even your livestock. Because you didn't get a day off, everything gets a day off. Sabbath helps us remember that our, our bodies are not just made for productivity, but also for play. Our soul requires rhythm of action and contemplation to be whole. We are beings made of flesh that will one day waste away, but that is not all that we are. And so the second rationale for Sabbath is, is different. It's to remind you that you're a human being. You are the image of God. And not just you, but the people that work for you. The people that, that produce for you, they are also not a commodity for somebody else's wealth. It's a discipline not just for the slave 
to remember the value of their work, but also for the employer to remember who works for them is a brother and sister, but more importantly, carries the image of God. And maybe that's the breath of fresh air that we experience when we engage in communion. I love what the popes had to say today. And theologically, the place that we we settle that is in the reality that we are all created in the image of God. Even if we find ourselves on a polarity, which really probably isn't as big as other people want to make it out for us. And the experience of communion and the experience of our worship, God softens our hearts. And he gives us a glimpse of something in heaven through the unfolding participation in the kingdom that we experience every day today. And so today, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts like they did in the wilderness. Keep it soft. Because the hope of us is that one day we sincerely say, it is well with our soul. So let go, my soul, in trust in Him. The waves and wind still know His name. So let it go, my soul, and trust in Him. The waves and wind still know His name. So let it go. So this week, may you experience the peace of God that passes your understanding. May the rhythm of the spiritual discipline of your work that you do every day, those little prayers, that little bit of scripture that you read, that reminder of God's presence in your life, be like a megaphone of God's voice that says it is going to be well. And may your heart stay soft. May you hear God's voice and it convicts you and it comforts you. And it makes you look a little bit more like Jesus Christ. May you be filled with God's spirit and go in peace.